Luke 24, 50-53 Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, blessing God. Well, good morning and welcome to the weekly gathering of Christ Community Chapel. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm so glad you're with us. Whether you're here in the room with me over in our East service or watching online, I'm glad you are spending some time with us. And I'm also glad it's Baptism Sunday. Are you pumped? So I want you to know that uh, we are baptizing across all of our services in East and West, our sanctuary service earlier. We are baptizing 49 people today. How amazing is that? Amazing. Very, very cool. And hey, I especially want to welcome you if you're here because your friend or family member is being baptized. We're so glad that you have chosen to celebrate with them. And I want you to know you are welcomed and wanted here all the time. Okay, not just when they're being baptized, but anytime, we're glad to see you. I'm also excited to conclude our sermon series we're calling Come and See, looking at the 10 final scenes of the life of Jesus as told to us from the Gospel of Luke. I hope you have enjoyed this sermon series. I know that I have slowing down and taking a look at who Jesus is and what he's done and what makes him so important and so special has really been great. So we're going to continue that today. We're going to end that today. So if you have your Bible, I'd love you to take it out and open it to Luke chapter 24. We're going to be looking at the last couple of verses. And if you have your phone, you can fire it up, open up your Bible app. And if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. That's why we have it read to you as it just was a minute ago. It was read so beautifully, and I hope uh, you are dialed in for that. And as you're turning in your Bible, let me introduce you to my outline. Three points I'm going to use to kind of plot our course together. And if you're a note taker, I'd love for you to write these down. And if you're not, just kind of have them in your head to make sense of where we're going. Three simple points, and they go like this. Why did Jesus leave? Why were they happy about it? And why we should be happy too. Okay, why did Jesus leave? Why were they happy about it? And why we should be happy too. All right, let's start with the first one. Why did Jesus leave? You know, the way things end is a very important part of telling a story. When you're reading a book, you're watching a movie, you're watching a television show, you get to that series finale or that season finale, the way things end is a really important part of storytelling. In fact, for some people, it is the most important part. This is true of my wife, Amy. When we watch a movie, for example, if it doesn't end well, she doesn't like the movie, okay? Nothing else matters just how it ends. In fact, I remember once going to a movie with her. It was a Tom Hanks movie, and it was really good. You know, do you remember, by the way, going to movie theaters? That was great, right? Good times. Good times, right? But we were sitting in the movie theater and watching the movie, and you know, when you go to a movie, you don't know if you've wasted your money or if you're going to end up seeing something really good. In this particular movie, we both thought we had chosen wisely. It was very good. In fact, multiple times, During the movie, I would look at her, she would look at me, and we would whisper, this is so good. This is such a good movie. Uh, But at the end of the movie, Tom Hanks dies. And it's kind of a sad ending. Good movie, but a kind of a sad ending. And I remember sitting in the theater, and the lights came up, and I looked over at Amy, and I said, man, that was a good movie. And she looked at me and said, I hated it. (laughs) I was like, 
what do you mean you hated it? The whole movie, we were high-fiving and saying how good it was. And she said, it didn't end well. So I hated it. The ending is really, really important. And so it's interesting to me that when Luke has spent 24 chapters telling us about the life and ministry, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that he chooses to end it with Jesus leaving, with Jesus ascending, Jesus ascending into the sky and his disciples kind of watching him go. What an interesting way to end. And, and we can sometimes, I think, miss this ending and its significance because of the culture in which we live. You know, we, we live in an individualistic culture. We, we tend to determine what is good or not good, best or not best, based on how it impacts the individual. And since most of us, the individual we're most familiar with is ourselves, we tend to think about whether or not something is good or bad based on what it does for us. And when I read this story, I think if I were one of the disciples and only 40 days had gone by since Jesus had risen from the dead, I might have like tried to grab at his ankle and pull him back down. Like, hey, I'm not ready for you to go. I've got some questions. I've got some, some, I need some help. Last time you were away, it didn't go very well for us. Don't go anywhere. But they don't do that. They don't do that. Jesus ascends. That's how the book ends. Well, why? Well, for one reason, the Bible is trying to reorient my worldview and yours away from a worldview in which I am at the center or you are at the center and towards seeing the world with Jesus at the center. What the Bible is going to argue is that the focal point of human history of all of our lives, your life and mine, is the person and work of Jesus. And when you read this ending with a Jesus-centered kind of reading, it makes a little more sense. So why does Jesus leave? I want to give you two reasons, and they're connected, but, but let me hold them out to you. Two reasons, and they go like this. Because of what he deserves and because of what he's doing, okay? Because of what he deserves and because of what he's doing. First, what he deserves. Jesus doesn't just, according to the Bible, if you keep reading, he doesn't just float up into the sky and disappear. He doesn't dissipate in the ozone. He isn't disappearing. He is ascending into heaven, where when he gets to heaven, he will sit down at the on the throne of heaven at the right hand of God as the king of heaven. The ascension is not as much a departure as it is a coronation. It is Jesus stepping into his rightful role as the king of God's kingdom. It is what Jesus deserves. See, the Bible tells us that because of Jesus being the son of God, who came to earth and lived a sinless life, never breaking God's law, never cutting corners, never cheating anyone, never defrauding anyone, never hurting anyone, and yet went to the cross and died sacrificially for God's people, giving his life in place of theirs, taking God's judgment upon him, and then rose victoriously three days later that he deserves. He has won the right. He has earned the right to be the king of heaven. It's too small of a thing for Jesus to stay in Jerusalem. It's too small of a thing for Jesus to be surrounded by a small group of loyal followers. He deserves to be seated on the throne of heaven. Jesus deserves the glory as God's king. It's what he has earned. 
In fact, a major part of being a Christian is welcoming this and wanting this, saying about Jesus, yes, you deserve to be the king. And that is what is happening here. In our culture, we tend to think of Jesus as a kind of personal savior, a spiritual guru, a kind of advice-giving, wisdom-giving leader who whispers into our ear the things we should do and the things we shouldn't do. And there's some truth mixed in with those things, but Jesus is more than that. He is the king of God's kingdom. His rightful place is not on the earth, but seated on the throne of God, at the right hand of God, leading the kingdom of God. It is right for Luke to end this way because Luke is saying that the sum total of 23 and a half chapters is that Jesus deserves to be the king. But the second thing I want you to see is it's not just what he deserves, but it's what he's doing. See, if you keep reading the story of the Bible, what you'll find is that Jesus does not climb under the throne of heaven, kick his feet up, put his hands behind his head, and say, hey, my work is done. No, he continues to work on behalf of advancing God's kingdom. I, I don't have time to give you all the ways he does this, but let me just kind of throw a bunch at you just for effect. So, for example, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen, a follower of Jesus, is being discipled, I mean, being discipled, he's being stoned, being discipled through stones. <laughs> when he is being killed for his faith, he looks into heaven and he says that he sees Jesus standing at the throne of, of heaven. In other words, Jesus has come to his feet. He is that intimately and actively aware of what's going on on the earth and what's going on in the life of of Stephen. In Ephesians 5, we're told that it's Jesus who is washing the church with the water of the word, making every one of his followers clean and pure and holy. The book of Hebrews says he is actively serving as our high priest. First John says he's advocating to the Father on behalf of all of those who will confess their sins. Revelation 5 says he's gathering people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation and including them in God's kingdom. Revelation 19 says he's preparing to come back and wage war on all the evil of the world. Revelation 21 has him saying to us, behold, I am making all things new. Jesus deserves to be on the throne of heaven, but he is working tirelessly from the throne to advance God's kingdom. In fact, a great way to understand Jesus is that everything you see him doing in the Gospels, in a small region of the world, among a small number of people, he is now doing from the command center of heaven all over the world, globally, across time and space and culture. Jesus ascends in order to scale up the kingdom of God. Luke ends his Gospel this way because Jesus is deserving of being king and there is work to do, not from Jerusalem, but from heaven. That is why Jesus leaves. It is not because he's detached from this world, but because the work he has to do in this world is much bigger than what he was doing when he was on earth. Okay, that makes sense for Jesus, but here's my next question. Why are they happy about it? Why are they happy about it? If you look at the, 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 the passage, here's what it says right after it describes him leaving. It says in verse uh, uh, 52, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Why are they happy that Jesus left? That seems like an odd reaction. 
I often wonder this when I'm watching a movie. I wonder when the movie ends, it makes me think what happens to the characters. Like, like as the story, you know, their lives continue. What goes on with them? Like, let me give you an example. I don't want to cause too much of an existential crisis here. But when you're watching a superhero movie, for example, uh, you get this supervillain and he or she goes usually to New York. By the way, great reason not to live in New York, by the way. All the supervillains, they attack New York, okay? They film in Cleveland, but they attack New York, okay? <laughs> so, so the supervillain goes to downtown, you know, Manhattan, and is reeking, I mean, just reeking damage all over. I mean, buildings are falling, and cars are being demolished, people are dying. I mean, just awful stuff is happening. And then one superhero, or sometimes, spoiler alert, they band up into groups of superheroes. They go to attack the villain, and they cause almost as much damage. Okay, so the whole city is just being laid to waste, but eventually the supervillain is defeated, everybody claps, and the movie ends. And when the lights come up, I find myself thinking, who pays for that? <laughs> like, does insurance cover that? Because I know enough about insurance to know they're going to say, we don't have a clause in here for supervillains. Okay, so, so how, what about the people who die? What about the people who are injured? What about, what about everybody else? What about everybody else? Well, that's what I'm thinking here. Okay, Jesus, the hero, is the king of heaven. But what about everybody else? Why are they happy? Why are they happy? Well, two reasons, I think, why they're happy. And I want to hold these out to you. They're very important to us. Okay, two reasons. The first is that they also agree that Jesus deserves to be king. They have seen what he's done They've seen his miracles. They've heard his teaching. They saw him die and they saw him resurrected. They have seen that he is unequivocally the son of God who has conquered the enemies of sin and death. They agree that he lived sinlessly, died sacrificially and rose victoriously. And so as a result, they are eager to see him ascend triumphantly. They are saying as friends of Jesus, yes, you should be king. You should be on the throne of heaven. This is like going to your friend's retirement party and celebrating that they're being honored by their company for the years of service. This is like going to an anniversary party and saying, yes, we should celebrate the faithfulness of this couple. As a friend, you are standing there saying, you have earned this. And that is what they're saying about Jesus. And in so doing, they're letting us in on this, that whatever it means to be a Christian, what it has to mean is that to be a Christian is to welcome and celebrate the kingship of Jesus. Not just in heaven, but in your life. That what it means to be a Christian is to be someone who says, yes, you deserve this. You have earned this. It is rightfully yours. You are the king. They agree, Jesus this is who you are. This is what you've done. This is what you've earned. But here's the second thing they understand, and it's even better. It is good to be friends with the king. It is good to be friends with the king. Here's what they're saying. They're saying, Jesus, if you are ascending into heaven to sit on the throne of heaven, to lead the kingdom of heaven, that's amazing, not only because you deserve it, but because we're buddies. I mean, after all, these disciples, was it not Jesus who said to them, come and follow me? He picked them. 
They've lived years with Jesus. They, they have inside jokes with Jesus. You know Jesus joked. Are we cool with that? It doesn't matter if you're cool with it or not. He did it, all right? So they have inside jokes with Jesus. They have stories. They have shared experiences. They've had high moments and low moments. They've been teammates with Jesus. They know he loves them. They know he's their buddy. They know he picked them. They know he cares about them. And even when he died, And even when they betrayed him and abandoned him and dishonored him, when he rose from the dead, he forgave them. So their thinking is this. If Jesus is the king of heaven, that's good news for me because he is my friend. And that means whatever God does next from heaven with his king is going to be great for me. One of the ways you see this, by the way, is in the book of Acts You know, Luke wrote the book of Acts too. It's the second part of the gospel of Luke. And he picks up the story at this moment. He picks up the story at the ascension of Jesus. Only he adds a little something that he left out here in season one, if you will. And what he adds in is that when Jesus ascends into heaven, they just kind of stand there with their mouths open staring. I don't know what they were waiting for. Like maybe there was gonna be like a fireworks display or, you know, something to happen. And they're just kind of standing there and an angel appears and the angel says, to them, why are you standing there staring into the sky? The one who just ascended will one day come back. And he means that as good news for them. Hey guys, don't, don't, don't stand here. Go, go do what you're supposed to be doing. Go, go celebrate. Go, go, go uh, 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 enjoy what God has done because don't worry, he's coming back. Now that's really interesting to me because almost every time the Bible mentions the second coming of Jesus, it's connected to judgment. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, for example, tells us that when Jesus comes back, he will rid the world of evil and all of God's enemies. Revelation 19 has him riding a white horse with a tongue like fire and with an army behind him ready to eradicate evil on the face of the earth. The Bible makes very clear that he came the first time as a lamb, but the second time as a lion. He came the first time to die, but the second time to bring judgment. And yet as they stand there, mouth open, looking into the sky, the angel says to them, don't worry, he's coming back. And I think, well, that's not good news. He's coming back and he's bringing judgment. But here's what the angel knows. He is bringing judgment, but not for his friends. See, what he's saying to them is, don't you understand? He is on the throne of heaven, and he is the king, but he is your friend. So that no matter what comes next, no matter what God is going to do, no matter what God is not going to do, no matter what God is going to cause, no matter what God is going to allow, you can know that it only works out for your good. Even when he comes back to bring judgment, that's good news for you, because you will not be opposite of him on the battlefield. You are his friends. So the reason why they have joy is because they understand that this is the beauty of what Jesus has done. He has connected his glory with their good. So that the more glory he receives, the more good they can anticipate. His ascension to be king is a rise in his glory, but it's an increase in their good because the one who sits on the throne of heaven, the one who decides who's an enemy and who's a friend, who's in and who's out, who's rescued and who gets judgment is their friend. And they have joy for that. Why wouldn't you? But that leads me to my third point, which is to say, what's that got to do with us? 
Well, here's why I think you should be happy about it too. I know you're not Peter, James, John. You're not Mary, Mary Magdalene. We're none of those people. We don't have inside jokes with Jesus. We didn't share meals with Jesus. We don't have shared highs and lows and experiences with Jesus. We, we probably don't think of ourselves as friends of Jesus in the way that they do, but they wanted us to. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, look at the passage. Right after it says that they have great joy, look at what it says. Verse 53 and were continually in the temple blessing God. They went public. See, the last time Jesus left, they were in a room hiding. Do you remember that? They're in a room hiding. They didn't want to see anybody. Lock the doors, pull down the curtains, stay away. This time, they go to the most public place you could go if you were a first century Jewish person, and they stand there and they say, God, thank you. Thank you that you made Jesus king Thank you, Jesus, that you're my friend. Thank you, God, that, that Jesus' glory and my good are connected. Thank you, God, that you wanted to give Jesus the glory of being a rescuer. And the way you did that is he came and he lived in my place and he died in my place and he rose from the dead. So as he gets the glory of being a rescuer, I get the good of being rescued. Thank you, God, that you wanted to glorify Jesus as a savior so that as he saves people from judgment, I, my good is that I am saved. Thank you, God, that his glory and my good are connected. Why would you pray that and sing that and celebrate that publicly, there's only one reason. You want everyone else to know. And I'm telling you, that's why I'm standing here right now in front of you this morning on your computer screen, over there in East Service, here in West. Here's why. Because God wants you to know that the time is right now for people to become friends of Jesus so that the glory of what God is doing in the world and the good of the people right here, right now can be forever linked. That's what it means to be a Christian. To say to God, glorify Jesus, because I know that the more glory he gets, the more good I get. God, make him king. Jesus, bring your kingdom to everything. Bring your kingship to everything, because you're not just king. You're my friend. And wherever you lead, I will be blessed. You know, listen, in our culture, we tend to make Jesus very small and very personal. And I get why we do that. So we say things like, Jesus is my personal savior. And, that, and that's true. If you're, if you're a believer, that's true. We'll say things like, Jesus lives in my heart. That, that is not true. The Holy Spirit lives in us. Listen, you don't want Jesus in your heart. You want him on the throne of heaven, leading the kingdom of heaven, because that means there is nothing coming that he isn't in charge of, and he is your friend. Listen, that's what everyone being baptized here today is saying. When we dunk them in the water, what, we'll be, what they will be saying is Jesus lived and he died and he rose from the dead. Therefore, he is my king. I believe he is king. I'm professing, I'm proclaiming he is king, but also he is my friend. So I also will one day die, but I will get back up. Why? Because the king is my friend, and that's what he does for his friends. And every single person being baptized here this morning is doing the same thing the disciples were doing in the temple. They're doing it publicly to say to you, don't you also want to know that the king of heaven is your friend? 
Listen, I don't know your story. I don't know your background. Maybe you're here and you're, you're not a Christian. You're watching this. You're not a Christian. And you've never thought about this idea that Jesus is the king of heaven, but he also wants to be your friend. And if the king is your friend, that means the future is good for you. That is available to you right now. It's yours simply by asking, simply by confessing, God, I need Jesus to be my king. I need him to be my friend. But if you're here and you're already a Christian brother or sister in Christ, don't you see that's why we've gathered here? Those are the two reasons we've gathered to celebrate Jesus as king. That's what we sing. That's what we pray. That's what we preach. That's what we read. You are our king. You are a good king. You deserve to be king, but, but you are also our friend. And in God's mystery, your glory and our good are linked. So Jesus, come be king. And I know that only means good things for me. Well, when you put it that way, how else would you have ended the gospel of Luke? What an amazing, amazing way to end. Let's pray together. Father God, what a great story to preach. It's your story. It's your glory. I get to get up here and say all kinds of amazing things like, the glory of your king and our good, our length, that you want to be our friend. And I'm not, I get to say that, but you made it so. We praise you for that. And Holy Spirit, would you right now make us believers? I echo the words of the man in the gospel who said, I believe, help me with my unbelief. Would you do that, Holy Spirit, for everyone here, for everyone watching online, for everyone over in the East service? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.